Well, good morning, everyone. It's good to be with you guys. Uh, We're going to continue in our sermon series on the Sermon on the Mount from the Gospel of Matthew. So if you have your Bibles, you can open up to Matthew chapter 6. We're going to be looking at verses 25 through 34. It's also printed in your order of worship. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the fields of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to your span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the, lily, the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. This is God's word, and it's given to us for our good. Let me pray. Father, as we heard in Psalm 27, we indeed seek your face this morning. Father, we need to see it. Um, Father, we need you um, to be present with us in all the circumstances of our lives, in all the, the ways in which we tend to be anxious. We tend to want to control. And so, Father, I pray that your word would be a lamp unto our feet. Father, it would guide us to Jesus' face. That we would see it, Father, that it not only would bring comfort, but it would transform our face and our anxiety. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, during my uh, first year of college in Chicago, I traveled uh, back home to California for Christmas break. And my two closest friends from home and I were so excited to finally be back together that we thought it would be fitting to celebrate um, by doing something really epic uh, to ring in the new year. So we started brainstorming uh, around, and then someone said, Grand Canyon. And we were like, yes. That's it. So the quickly concocted plan was to drive 11 hours through the night to get to the Grand Canyon, spend New Year's Eve hiking down to the bottom, camp, and then wake up on New Year's Day to hike out. Now, none of us had never, have ever been to the Grand Canyon, and we had just hours to pack. So we raced home, we grabbed our packs, and just started piling everything into it that we might possibly want on this epic trip. We stuffed in any clothes or jackets that we might come in handy in the winter weather. And we imagined a huge hot breakfast to celebrate New Year. So we threw in pots and pans and tons of cans of food, a camp stove. And by the time we added our old school enormous sleeping bags, tent and water, each of us had packs that easily weighed over 80 pounds. So our plan went great all the way up through breakfast. 
on New Year's Day. But the reality uh, struck that we needed to hike out every single thing that we brought in, both the empty cans and the full cans and the pots and the pans and everything else. So not even an hour into our uphill hike, one of my buddies stops suddenly. He sits down and he says with all seriousness, guys, I can't go on. Just leave me here. When you get to the top, tell the ranger to send a helicopter to come and pick me up. We were like, what? Are you crazy? I don't know what kind of movie you think uh, this is, but there is no one coming for you. So after a lot of arguing, uh, my friend, uh, my other friend takes uh, the extra pack, puts it on his front, and basically crawls up the trail. And my job was to walk behind my worn-out friend and push him from behind whenever he wanted to stop. And by the time we got to our car, we were cursing those packs. We were cursing that hike. And my friend didn't hear the end of that helicopter request for a long, long time. Well, as Jesus is preaching on the hilltop in the sermon that we just read together, he is speaking to people who are carrying big, heavy loads on their shoulders. They are burdened with not only the uncertainties that life presents today, but anxiety about what life will bring tomorrow and the next day and the next. This crowd had farmers in it who genuinely were asking, what will we do? What will we eat if the rain doesn't come? They may pay up to half of what they make in taxes, but there is no social safety net. This crowd had mothers and fathers in it who are worried about smallpox and plagues and a host of diseases that regularly took the lives of children in those days. And you know, even though our context is somewhat different, the uncertainties of life still haunt us in the same way. Many of you, I know, have gotten phone calls from the doctor or emails from work or texts from family members or friends that have set off this sense of dread that caused you begin to play out all the potential what-if scenarios. These are incredibly vulnerable moments. And yet, here we have Jesus saying, do not be anxious about your life. So there are two things that I think this passage calls us to wrestle with this morning. First, how can Jesus expect this from us in a world where truly terrible things happen every single day? And second, if we let Jesus' words hold up a mirror, hold up a mirror to our lives, how much does our anxiety weigh? What worries do you and I unnecessarily, unnecessarily carry around in this world? And what ways do they hinder us from living the life that we were made for? So right at the outset, we need to be clear about something. We need to be clear that Jesus is not saying that his teaching is easy. Nor is Jesus trying to shame us for our anxiety. Anxiety is a natural reaction to the reality that we are living in a broken and unpredictable world. In fact, if we look at the context of Jesus' teaching here, what we see is that he's asking, what he was, he's asking us for would be impossible apart from the crucial fact that he has come to redeem and remake both us and his world. 
this command, do not be anxious, comes in the context of the rest of the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus is unveiling the ideal ethical center of the kingdom of God. So Jesus' sermon contains such astounding statements like, if your right hand causes you to sin, then cut it off. And if you nurse your anger toward your brother or sister, you will be liable to judgment. And love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Church, there is nothing simple or easy about anything in the Sermon on the Mount. But what it does is it reveals the beautiful, radical blueprint of the kingdom life that Jesus is inviting us into. So what is Jesus commanding us this morning? What does it mean to be anxious? Well, anxiety is not the same as fear, which is a reaction to a real and present threat. But anxiety instead is a kind of fear gone wild, a generalized sense of dread about something out there that seems menacing. Anxiety is about potential danger, potential loss or trouble. And Jesus makes it clear in the parable of the sower in Matthew 13 that worry is one of the big three deterrents to the gospel taking root and bearing fruit in our lives. The imagery that Jesus uses of worry is that of thorns that grow up and choke the life out of us. Worry is like a parasite that feeds off of us and steals the nutrients, faith, hope, and love that would help us to grow and mature into the people that we were made to be. For example, what begins as worry about money troubles can lead us to hold with clenched fists all the gifts that we have been given and making them our treasure rather than being open-handed and generous as God has been with us. Anxiety in our relationships can lead us to be exacting and overbearing or defensive instead of seeking God's grace to grow in vulnerability and understanding of the other. Anxiety about our kids can lead us to be, lead us to devise new ways to be helicopter parents and prevent us from believing the truth that God actually cares about our kids more than we ever will. And so in our passage, Jesus shows that he has compassion for two uh, very deep misunderstandings that add to our anxiety. And these, under, these under, uh, misunderstandings are the unnecessary stuff that we carry around in our packs that keep our face towards the ground and our eyes off of the kingdom that he invites us into. So the first misunderstanding is our illusion of control. Jesus asks in verse 27, which of you by being anxious can add a single hour to your span of life? Now, when Jesus first posed this question to a first century audience, it was meant to be rhetorical. But in many, in many ways today, we have become convinced that we really do have control. Modern medicine means that we have control over, the, over our health and the ability to ward off sickness in a way that people a hundred plus years ago couldn't have ever imagined. We carry around in our pockets supercomputers and we tap an icon 
And it gives us instant access to almost anything that we could need. All of this conspires together to give us an illusion of great power. And when we find ourselves nurturing our anxiety, it means that we believe, at least in part, that we have the power to ensure that things will turn out okay. But as we reflected last Sunday, this attempt to control can lead to what Jesus calls serving mammon, which refers to our possessions, our money, our stuff. It means that we wake up in the morning with our mind on the stuff that we think we need in order to be okay. And so we work really hard to get it, but then once we get it, we realize that we're still vulnerable. And so we go back to work and try to amass more and more stuff. And as Pastor Jeff said, attempting to soothe our anxiety in this way is like drinking salt water. The more you drink, the thirstier you become. And so by the end of the day, the illusion of control just breaks down. We get blindsided by the reality that we cannot stomp out uncertainty as much as we want to. This reality was brought home to me a number of years ago when I got a frantic, a frantic call from my mom. She told me that my dad was in a horrible car accident and that he was in a coma in the ICU. And so, of course, I got on the first flight to California. And as I sat on that plane, besides the real fear of losing my dad, my mind began to churn with anxiety about the future. Because that's what anxiety does. It leaves you in the present and it forces you, thrusts you into the future. What, what if my dad died? What would we need? Uh, would we need to find a way for my mom and nephew to come and live with us? Or what if he lived and was disabled and they lost their home because of the medical bills? What if and what if and what if kept running through my mind? Now, to make a long story short, the good news is my dad did recover. But what this experience did for me was begin to break down the illusion of control. I mean, think about it. How much control do we really have in this life? I don't even have control over my body. I, I didn't design it, and I don't really know how it works. Some of you do and are experts in, the, in your field, but neither you or I can stop the slow process of decay that makes me not as strong or as fast or as unbreakable as I was 20 years ago. I couldn't carry that 80-pound pack up or down a trail for very long today, partially because I know the chiropractic bills would be too enormous but more painfully because, like my friend, my body just isn't up for the task anymore. And so one day my body will give out entirely, probably without my consent. We are not ultimately in control. And our expectation that we should be in control is a burden that Jesus says that we can shed. And the reason that we can shed our illusion of control is related to the second factor that Jesus says contributes to our anxiety. The second misunderstanding is this. We don't truly know how much God cares for us. Look at what Jesus says in verse 26. 
He says, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor, nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor, nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Now Jesus' argument here is that if the less significant thing is intimately taken care of and is provided for, then how much more will our Heavenly Father attend to those whom he has created in his image? The Apostle Peter says the same, same thing, but much more directly in 1 Peter 5. He says, cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. God cares about the intimate details of your life. And Jesus, what he is doing is he is inviting us to lift up our gaze away from the future that we dread and to instead ponder that every mundane and ordinary provision that is made in this world is the handiwork of a present and attentive God. God cares for you. He cares for you. But what most of us want in times of anxiety is a guaranteed outcome. I know that's what I want. And yet there is nothing wrong with that desire. You can bless that desire because it is a hunger for the goodness and shalom that Jesus purchased with his death and resurrection. And will bring to fulfillment one day when all things are created new. But right now... Right now we live in this in-between time when Jesus has restored to us our Father, but still we wrestle with the consequences of living in a broken world. And in our hour of anxiety and trouble, Jesus invites us to know our good and wise Father who sees and anticipates our needs just as a loving, attentive parent does for their little child. But here's the irony. The, the irony is that the people sitting on that hillside don't realize that the one pointing them towards their good father is actually the one who is showing us the face of the father. What God offers us in the face of our anxiety is his face. It is the face of Jesus. And I'm not talking about the color of his eyes or the shape of his nose. I am talking about Emmanuel. God with us. Looking at us with an expression that always holds compassion. A mouth that smiles in delight over us and laughs with us. Eyes that weep with us when we experience loss and sorrow, even while promising an ultimate reality in which death and sorrow is no more. His is the face that never turns away or fails to attend to ours. And Jesus came that we would know deep in our bones the care of the Father. And the ultimate picture of his care is the cross that makes, that Jesus makes a way for us to be called 
children of God. And church, since we have such a father, Jesus says in verse 31, Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all of these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. You see, what Jesus is saying is, he's saying that when we aren't familiar with God's kind eyes, when we don't know his face and his care, as treasure seekers, we will always run after the things that give us a sense of control and that make us feel less vulnerable. But when we know our Father's face toward us, when we know his care, knowing that we have great needs, we will run straight to the giver. And so what solution to anxiety does the giver offer us this morning? Well, it is, un- it is an unexpected one, to be honest. Jesus says in verse 33, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things will be added to you. Now, I don't, I don't know how this sounds to you, but it can sound very transactional. Like, I do my best to be good and follow the rules, and God will more or less take care of the basic stuff that I need. But Jesus, throughout the Sermon on the Mount, has, has been given us beautiful glimpses of his kingdom. We are starting to see a picture of a community of love that he is building on earth. A kingdom of rightness, a kingdom of righteousness. And this kingdom is defined by wholeness and beauty and joy. It's a place where we feel so secure in the knowledge of God's love for us that we are able in turn to love our neighbor who is different from us. And our neighbor is so secure in God's love that they are happy and delighted to love us back. It is a place where we are so secure in the knowledge that God is in control that we are able to turn our concern to those who have the very least and participate with God in caring and providing for them. You see, to seek first the kingdom of God is to love what God loves. It is to hope for what God hopes for. It is to dream about what God dreams for. It is to put God's vision of the world as the first priority in our lives. And when this happens, our anxiety doesn't magically disappear. But it is actually put in its proper place. It is contained, rightfully contained. We will be more and more able to say, I don't know what tomorrow will bring. I have no idea what will happen tomorrow. It will have its own trouble. But I do know my Father and He will provide for my needs today. And so practically, I think there are a number of things that we as a church can be doing and thinking about to move towards containment and faithfulness in the face of our anxiety. I want to mention just two briefly, and that is intentional community and prayer. You know, God does, does not mean for us to be alone in our anxiety. We all learn to trust God's care in part 
through the care that we receive from one another. Matter of fact, we even see Jesus in Matthew 26, in his time of greatest anxiety, in the hours before his death, reach out for comfort from his three closest friends. You see, God pursues and loves us as individuals, but he is calling us to be a people who belong to him and reflect him. And because we are made that way, we need, especially in our world today, we need to prioritize building relationships in which we can give and receive care. Both of those, giving and receiving care. And you and I both know this is a lifelong pursuit that is slow-moving and requires baby steps. So let me give you a couple of practical baby steps this morning that we can all do. The first is this. If, if you are not yet a part of a small group here at Covenant, let me encourage you to think about joining a small group. It is, it is a place where, where you can pray for others, and it is a place where you can receive care in the moments of your anxiety. And the goal is to make that small group a priority by showing up and building relationships with the people in that small group. Another step, maybe for some of you, is to make an appointment with our care and counseling director or reach out to our solace ministry, which have folks who are trained to listen, provide care, and who are delighted to pray for you. And let me just say, as a church, we have a ton of resources inside and outside of the church that we can help connect you with, who can walk alongside you at different moments in your life. Now, secondly, prayer is where our hearts begin to know and trust God's face in his care in a personal and intimate way. Now, I don't usually recommend books and sermons, but if prayer is new for you or it is intimidating, I want, you, I want to recommend uh, that you think about picking up the book, A Praying Life by Paul Miller. It is a beautiful, humble, but deep introduction to how, go, how we go looking for the face of the Father through ordinary prayer and ordinary life. So church, our Father does care for us. And He is in control. And may we pursue being a community that points one another towards that truth for our healing and the healing of this broken world. Let me pray for us. Father, as I prayed in the very beginning, <laughs> Father, I pray that as we walk out of this sanctuary, as we go on with the rest of our days and the rest of our weeks, Father, I pray that we would remember these words, that we re would remember to seek Jesus' face, who points us to the care and the kindness of, of, the, of our Father's face. And Father, may we take off these heavy packs that we think that we're responsible for. And Father, may we take up your yoke that is easy and light. And Father, may we rest in your goodness and your care for us this week. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.